Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Cohen. On November 1st, Israelis are going to go again to vote. Will this be the last time they go? Will this election end the political uh, deadlock? Without it. And for that, I have my good friend Tamir Morag, the diplomatic correspondent of For Israel Ayom, who will help me put some things in order for us to understand who are the runner-ups, who's against who, and what are their chances. Of course, we know uh, in Judaism that they say, prophecy was given to uh, to the fools. Uh, I hope we're not going to be the fools, but uh, Tamir, welcome back and good evening and Shana Tova. Thank you. Good evening. Shana Tova. So, Tamir, uh, I'm sitting here in New York. You're sitting in Israel and you're close to what's happening, uh, you know, in the political sphere. So who do we have at the end? Who are the runner-ups at the moment? Let's start from the right. We'll go, you know, to the center, left, and the Arab parties. Well, first what's of all, what's their I think... status? It's also important. Uh, what? I'm sorry. And Second. what is their status? Because today okay. we, you know, we heard about uh, Balad, the nationalistic Arab party, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it that they were uh, banned from running. Okay, so first of all, I think that the most likely winner of the next elections is tie, another deadlock, no winner. Uh, unfortunately, this is a very likely scenario in which no side will uh, achieve at least 60 members of parliament and won't be able to uh, establish a coalition. It seems as if, or at least this is the atmosphere, it's hard to know if uh, it is really the situation that Netanyahu is a bit closer to the goal of achieving 61 uh, members of parliament on his side than he was in the other uh, four four previous elections. But the truth is that you really cannot know because we are talking about such a thin margin that the elections can be determined by uh, 10,000 or 20,000 votes. So uh, it, it does seem, however, that uh, Netanyahu has a better chance of achieving this goal than Yair Lapid and, of course, Benny Gantz. But no one really knows whether or not he uh, is going to get 61. Uh, I would guess that it's 50-50 chance, but this is only a guess. Well, just to make it clear for our, uh, for our uh, listeners, uh, when you're talking about, you know, that the elections can go to one side or the other, and it's it all depends on 10 to 20,000 voters, you're talking about the famous threshold. In Israel, the threshold is 3.25% of all uh, uh, kosher or uh, legal uh, votes that were counted. And that's almost, uh, let's say, 3.9 seats in the Knesset. Yeah, and usually four. It can mathematically, it, it, it there can be a situation in which you will uh, earn three seats and be in the Knesset, but uh, m- most likely the yeah they round it to four to four. Yes, seats. yes, you will have to earn uh, four seats in order to be in the Knesset. So it's four or nothing. You can be. By the way, the the, the reason that we are in this crisis in the first place is that in the first election cycle, uh, Yamina. Uh, the party of uh, Naftali right. Bennett and Dayelet Chaked. One of the parties, uh, they were having a couple of cir- uh, cycles of their parties. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it was called Yamina back then. Yeah, but, it was uh, called. They were, 
less than 1,500 votes short. And yes. if they would get this 1,500 votes, Netanyahu would have got 61. And uh, theoretically, we might have been with a Netanyahu-led coalition until now. The absurd is, by the way, that they, did, that they didn't have enough votes because in the last days of the ele- election, Netanyahu ferociously attacked them. And this is why they lost this very marginal uh, 1,500 votes that they needed. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting this year with uh, Ayelet Shaked. Well, Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked are no longer together. He's taking a time off uh, from politics. And she actually went back to our original party, Abaita Yehudi, the Jewish home, uh, after she failed to, you know, put uh, some more, uh, let's say, wind in the sails of uh, Yamina party. Uh, and now she is, uh, you know, standing really below the threshold. And it's interesting to see if Netanyahu will let her fail and and maybe take the chances that she's going to take two to three mandates with her. Or he will try to, you know, figure out a way, uh, as he likes to do, um, you know, to put some wind in her sails. Okay, so my guess is, and it's only a guess, is that she's not going to run all the way. Um, she's going to withdraw before election day. Uh, there is a, she, she of, course deni- of course, denies it and uh, promises that she's going to run all the way to the, to the elections and so on. But there was some talk in the recent days that there might be a deal in which she will get a promise to uh, be nominated as an ambassador. As ambassador, right. uh, um, Some important country, no one knows still which country exactly. Uh, once again, Ayelet Chaked is denying this, and she argues that she's going to run all the way. Uh, I think that she's going to be under tremendous pressure, even from within her own party, to yeah. withdraw if they will see that uh, it's unrealistic to uh, achieve the... 3.25 threshold. Yeah, so until today, uh, we can say that we had 13 major players. And if I need to name them, I'll do it uh, as, as a, you know, for our audience. We have the Likud party, and I'm, I'm giving it by the order of their, uh, let's say, the... Okay, what... What they get in the polls right now. What they get, exactly. The size in the polls they are receiving at the moment. The Likud remains the largest party with 32 to 35, 36 mandates out of 120. Right after it, the Likud is led by Benjamin Netanyahu. Then we have Yesh Atid. Yes, but Uh, but, by the way, uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, almost in all all of the last election cycles, if, if not all of them, the Likud usually gets between uh, two to three less than he gets in the polls. Yeah, that's also, it's it's true. Then we have Yesh Atid, and thank you for bringing it up, uh, Tamir. Uh, well, that's the polls versus real life. You know, uh, we never know what's going to be the outcome. Then we have Yesh Atid led by Yair Lapid. They are the second largest party, but they are like 10 to 12 mandates less than the Likud. So it's between 24, 23 mandates. Uh, right after it, we have a Benny Gantz's, I would say, third party, because he started as a... Um, 
No one really remembers what's the name of the party yeah. this week. It's gonna, probably going to be a different name by next week. So, uh, anyway, now, election, being, anyway, now they are called the Machanea Mamlachti. It's a combination of Benny Gantz Blue and White Party, uh, Kachol Avan, uh, Gidon Saar and his new hope, uh, the Jedi Party, uh, the right-wing Jedi Party, and uh, the new addition, which is the former chief of staff, uh, Gadi Eisenkot, who's politically standing left to Benny Gantz. The only thing that connects them together is the will to change uh, Netanyahu, and that's also something that we're going to discuss about, uh, because me in person have some doubts about Benny Gantz, but that's a, a different thing. Then we have religious Zionism, that is a coalition of uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir, of Kach uh, Party, or Otsma Yehudit, uh, Jewish uh, power, and uh, Bezalel Smutrich, who now looks uh, a lot more lefty when he stands in, uh, Bezal- in uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir's shadow. That's also an interesting story, Tamir, right? Because uh, Bezalel Smutrich was the loudest voice of the hard right wing, and suddenly Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's, uh, you, some will say, and I'm among them, that he's one of uh, uh, Rabbi Benjamin Kahana's successors, uh just you know uh bypassed him by far right yes uh benver is a very interesting story uh he is arguing that he has changed his views uh i would doubt it many people doubt it it's more likely that he tries to sound a bit more moderate which is still very extreme only because he wants to uh attract more votes and not to take the chance that he might be um not allowed to run, the same as Kahana was not allowed to run during, uh, uh, during the Kach party days. Uh, in the 80s. A, in the 80s, yes. Uh, basically, there is a contest between uh, Ben Gvir and, uh, and uh, Smotrich, who is more extreme, and it seems that uh, Ben Gvir is uh, winning this contest. contest. He's more extreme and, and uh, he receives more votes. Now, uh, at some point, uh, they... Personally, they despise each other, but at some point, Smotrich understood that uh, he cannot ignore Ben-Gvir anymore and that they must uh, unite and incorporate into one party together. It's probably a technical unification which will split right after the elections because they can stand each other, but they are running together, so they won't take any risks that one of them might not get the 3.25% uh, threshold. Yeah, and I will mention, you mentioned the uh, Kahana. Then Kahana did won one, a single seat in 1984, but the Likud of that time, which was the... You didn't party, have a threshold back then. Back then. You had, it was 1%. Okay. That's why, that's why he passed it. The Likud at that time was the party that went against him and every time, by the way, that he will go and speak in the Knesset, they will uh, boycott him. And the election after it, he was banned from running again. Itamar Ben-Gvir was legitimized by the current Likud, by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, for uh, political, uh, of course, uh, advantages. Well, Netanyahu has no other choice but to legitimize him because he has no coalition. There is a big doubt if he's going to have a coalition even with Ben-Gvir, but it's... Uh... For sure that he's not going to have any coalition without Ben-Gvir, so he doesn't have much choice. By the way, Ariel Kahana 
wrote in our um, newspaper and website yesterday, uh, the public, he published that uh, there has been messages uh, delivered from uh, US officials to Netanyahu that they will not condone any uh, participation of Ben Gvir in the government. Uh, I'm not sure that Netanyahu is going to have any other choice. There might be some compromising in which Ben Gvir will not be appointed officially as a minister, but will support the government from the outside. But I would guess that if Netanyahu has to choose between uh, um, the US and Ben Gvir, he's going to choose Ben Gvir because he's the one who can give him the coalition he so uh, eagerly wants. Yeah, but I, I have doubts, by the way, if uh, Ben Gvir and Smutrich will be a part of the, of the future coalition. I have my guesses that actually Benny Gantz will be, but we'll talk about it later. You know, okay. it's actually, uh, I think that uh, Netanyahu is actually using Ben Gvir and Smutrich as a leverage. And at one point, once we'll see on November 9th, once the uh, Central Election Committee will... Uh, you know, uh, confirm the, the final results of the election, uh, we can discuss what are the options for a coalition of, you know, who's going to uh, do the, follow, the, the next coalition. Right after Tzionut Datit, we have Shas party, uh, the ultra-Orthodox, it, used, it didn't used to be ultra-Orthodox, but I would say the ultra-Orthodox Faradik party, And then we have Yadut Torah, United uh, Torah Judaism. Yes, it's, it's just uh, worth mentioning about Shas that uh, you, you are correct when you are calling them an ultra-Orthodox party because all of the members of Knesset from Shas are, are always ultra-Orthodox. The public that supports Shas is partly ultra-Orthodox and uh, many of them are conservatives, not necessarily right. ultra-Orthodox. I agree. Uh, uh, Mizrah, Mizrahim, all of them, right. almost all of them Mizrahim. But the representatives in the Knesset are always ultra-Orthodox. Yes, yes, that's correct. And I will say that Shas used to be considered as a moderate party, and now they are considered to be aligned with Netanyahu 100%. The other party that we said is UTJ, and I will say about both of them that an interesting thing is happening among the younger generation of ultra-Orthodox, who used to be more religious and less nationalistic. And now we can see that there is a, about how much, 1.5 to 2 mandates that are drawing from uh, UTJ and Shas towards uh, religious Zionism, right, Amir? Yes, I think so. That uh, I think that the polls support what you're saying, uh, as far as I know, at least. And uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon because... Uh, The leaders of the ultra-Orthodox are more moderate than their public. And we usually think that the rabbis have uh, full authority over their public. It's not necessarily like that. It's more complex. And in the recent years, the public, the voters of both Shas and UTJ, have drawn the rabbis to the right. And in some aspect, I think that they are... Uh, forcing them to go only with Netanyahu, because Netanyahu is very, very much, uh, very, very popular in this uh, public. Uh, if you would ask the leaders, I'm not sure that they would go only with Netanyahu. They won't go with Lapid. Lapid is a red flag because of his yeah. past when he uh, uh, acted as the pillar of anti-religious uh, secularism in Israel. 
but they would go, for example, with Benny Gantz or with some other um, candidate from the Likud party, they can't do it because the public is currently forcing them to support only Netanyahu. Netanyahu, right. Then we have Israel Beitenu, led by Avigdor Lieberman, Labour Party, led by Merav Michaeli, Meretz Party, led by the returning Zehava Galon, former leader of Meretz. Uh, all of these three parties are... You know, they're not going. Israel Beitenu remains on the average of five mandates. I think he's also at risk. He will probably pass, but all these parties parties that you mentioned now are the ones uh, alongside the Arab parties, which you still haven't mentioned. Right. We're going to touch, we're going to talk about them next. And they're also about the Jewish home with Ayelet Shaked. Because if one of them is going to fall below the threshold, So it's going to change everything, and it's most likely that it's going to help Netanyahu, because all of these parties that you have mentioned right now are in the anti-Bibi uh, yeah, side the anti-Bibi uh, block. political map. Yes. Right. Even though I will say, Yair Lapid was putting tremendous effort and uh, pressure, I would say, on Merav Michaeli, the leader of labor, to join forces with Meretz. Past experience showed that both of these parties, when they were running as standalone, each one of them as a separate party, they got more votes than when they were running together. So in this case, I think that Yair Lapid is trying to do, you know, Netanyahu's tricks, but it doesn't work for him. I think that you can see Netanyahu's experience is a lot bigger than uh, Yair Lapid's experience. And also, is uh, I will give him the credit for his political wisdom. That is a lot bigger, uh, and it shows, than, than Yair Lapid in this case. Well, uh, you are right when you say that uh, historically Meretz and uh, Labour have achieved more uh, seats when they ran separately than they were united. But it's still a big gamble, because if one of them is going to fall be- below the threshold, that's the end of the story. Bibi is going to win. And I think that... Uh, The party which is in a more dangerous position right now is labor, because Meretz might fall as well, but Meretz traditionally have a very loyal um, core supporters. They are not too many, but they constitute about, three to, uh, about four to five uh, mandates, uh, seats. So it might be enough. Labor is getting right now in the polls, the most dangerous result that they can achieve. Five seats. Why is that? Yeah. If it was six or seven, you would know that they are safe. If it was four, everyone were panicking that they might not pass the threshold, and that would have gained them, as it did in previous elections, one or even two more seats. When, on, right. when they are on five, this is my personal interpretation, of course, when they get five, Everybody are relaxed. They think they're going to pass. They probably right, but they might not. Yeah, so it's yeah. a big gamble. It is a big gamble, but, uh, you know, eventually we'll see on November 1st if it was uh, a wise gamble or not. Um, yes, you have to, uh, I, I'm just going to elaborate a little bit about what I just said. There is a term in uh, Israeli politics which is called strategic voting. 
it yeah. means it's also you, it's only on the left by the way <laughs> it, it, yeah it's mostly on the left right it means that you're going to vote to a party even if you are not necessarily supporting its views but you you know that they are in your side uh when you divide the political map to a for bb or against bb and you want to ensure that they won't fall below the threshold so in previous elections this uh, phenomena achieved the uh, at least one or two extra seats to labor. Right now, when they have five, they might slip below because some of their voters who are not hardcore loyalists of uh, labor might uh, tell, uh, tell themselves, okay, they are safe. We can vote to Lapid. We can vote, vote for Gantz or whatever. And just to explain to our audience, why do they think they need to be strategic voters? The way that... Um, that a candidate gets the mandate to try and form a coalition in Israel because it's a parliamentary system, is that usually it's the candidate of the largest party, but also it's the candidate who gets the most recommendations of the other parties uh, in front of the president of the state of Israel. So if Yeshatid will be the largest party, in theory, okay, Yair Lapid has bigger chances of, uh, of getting chance to go first and trying to form a coalition. Usually it doesn't work like that because eventually uh, you need to see how many parties support the single candidate. And as we speak, Netanyahu's block is quite safe with 57 to 59 mandates, which are from four parties, as we said, the Likud, religious Zionism, Shas, and UTJ. Why yeah, by, by, by the way, it, it, it's worth mentioning that in some polls, more than one, he's achieving 60 and even 61. In some polls, not all of them. And it also depends not only on the polls, eventually on real time, how many people will go and vote. Because once again, as you mentioned, Israel Beitenu, Labour and Meretz are all on the verge of not crossing the threshold, which can impact um yes you know. by, uh, by, by the way just before uh, our conversation here i had another conversation with a, a political figure in the likud and he told me something uh, which i think is correct and that is that if netanyahu succeeds to uh, um to increase the voting percentage it's not only going to help him because it's going to add more votes to the likud it's going to help him because the threshold that merits and labor and Hadash uh, Tal and the other parties on, in the anti-Bibi block have to achieve is going to be higher because if you have more votes, the threshold is higher. It's so higher. the chance that one of them falls below the threshold is bigger. Right. In the absolute numbers we're talking about, and just yes. to put it in, the, in context, when we're talking about 3.25%, of all votes, if I remember correctly, uh, in the last elections, I think it was 140,000 votes. Something like that. I'm not sure about the accurate number, but you are uh, <laughs> in a ballpark, you are, uh, you are right. Yeah. So now we're going to go to the last uh, parties that we haven't mentioned. One of them we just start, we started talking about, which is Abayta Yehudi, the Jewish home. Ayelet Shaked's original new, I would say, uh, the returning, the lost daughter has returned home. What can we say about Abayta Yehudi before we touch the Arab parties? 
Well, first of all, I think that Ayelet Shaked is a political tragedy because only a few years ago she was considered a very uh, relevant and realistic uh, potential candidate to be prime minister one of these days. She was extremely popular in the Likud. Uh, she wanted very much to join the Likud, but there was a veto imposed mainly by Netanyahu's wife, Sarah, uh, and I think also his uh, son, Yair, and probably Netanyahu himself as well, against it, because Shaked and Bennett used to work for Netanyahu when he was the leader of the opposition, and uh, it ended up uh, very badly, uh, like, uh, like many people who have worked with uh, Netanyahu in the past. And uh, there is a great animosity between them today. So Shaked wanted to return to the Likud. And when she couldn't, at least she stayed part of the right wing. But uh, Bennett actually destroyed it for her. And uh, you can say that he destroyed her political career because he decided to team up with Lapid against everything he has promised during the uh, last election campaign and form a government that will depose the right from the, um, uh, that will depose the right and Netanyahu. This made Shaked uh, a pariah in the right wing. And she actually has, no, she has no more uh, political, she has no political base anymore. She uh, decided to go with Bennett to stay loyal to him. And uh, it probably cost her her political career because right now the left is not going to vote for her because ideologically she is on the right wing and the right is not going to vote for her because they will never forgive her for the fact that she helped deposing the right from... Uh, um, deposing from Netanyahu. Uh, some will argue that the current government didn't do anything that can be considered as a left... Uh, as a left-wing uh, uh, policy. Some will argue they are not in the right. They are not where she is looking for a vo- her voters. Okay. So thank you for that. I mean, I, I agree with you that uh, Bennett uh, actually destroyed her uh, political career. But I will also say that uh, if, to be, if to be honest, she was setting a right-wing agenda as an uh, interior uh, um, as a Minister of Interior Affairs. Um, yeah. And you could clearly see that. So that if to be, you know, if to be honest about it, she was doing a right-wing policy, but her former supporters didn't like the fact of uh, her aligning with somebody who's not Netanyahu. She is ideologically right-wing, that's totally right, but she's politically uh politically a pariah in the right so uh yeah. she is in a very difficult situation and uh i assume according to the polls that she is not going to survive uh, politically the next elections and I, I tend to agree with you on that but we'll have to see if she's going to run all the way or not you're guessing that she will uh, uh withdraw at one point um and i honestly don't know <laughs> Um, we can only guess yeah let's talk about the Arab parties now so in 2015 you had the joint list then in the last round of election Mansour Abbas and his party Ra'am which is I would say um, the the ultra-orthodox Muslim party uh, decided Muslim Shas this is usually the comparison Shas and Aguda and UTJ 
yes. decide, decided that he's running as, as a standalone. And now even Balad, which is the nationalistic, uh, I would say the religious Zionism of, uh, of the Israeli Arabs, uh, withdrawed also from uh, running uh, together with the Hadash Tal, bringing the, the, you know, the Israeli Arab parties to the same situation they were in 2015. Now, Balad, today, there was a um, court decision that they will be banned from running. Um, we don't know. Probably they will get back in the race. Um, but I don't see, I mean, what's going on over there? Well, uh, Balad will probably run uh, because the Supreme Court will overrule the, the, this decision. But uh, if they're going to run, they're only going to serve Netanyahu because they won't pass the threshold and they will take votes from the anti-Bibi camp that will be uh, lost votes, basically. Um, Ra'am and uh, Hadash Ta'al, what remains of the joint list, are currently in a very precarious position. They receive between four to five uh, seats in the latest polls. Each if one, one of, of them. Each one, each of, one the of them, yes. Um, if both of them are going to pass, which is very likely, so uh, Netanyahu will have a more difficult time to uh, achieve a coalition. Uh, if one of them is not going to pass, which is also a very uh, reasonable scenario, so once again, once again, it's game over and Bibi is going to have his, his uh, 61 and uh, he's going to form a coalition. And we do need to remember that the person who legitimized the Mansour Abbas and the Ram party was actually Netanyahu. And I would argue that when, when uh, the polls in Israel are putting Mansour Abbas on the, you know, in the current coalition, instead of putting him either as a floating vote or as a, you know, as a, a tiebreaker, uh, they, are, they are completely wrong because Mansour Abbas will go, at least that's my guess, uh, if he passes the threshold and Netanyahu gets the chances to, to uh, form a coalition, Mansour Abbas will have no problem forming a coalition with Netanyahu. I think he is even saying this, this out loud, Mansour Abbas. The problem is, and after the elections it might not be such a big problem, is that Netanyahu promises once and uh, again that he is not going to sit with Abbas in a coalition. But, uh, you know, if uh, his survival were going to be dependent on Abbas, so uh, this might change. Netanyahu's promises are known uh, <laughs> to be not respected by Netanyahu. Um, but I will say, by the way, you're talking about uh, uh, Netanyahu and Mansour Abbas and the Arab parties, um, that, you know, when we're talking about scenarios, Netanyahu is talking about a full right-wing uh, but, but, but by the way, Kobe, once again, I'm sorry that I'm interrupting, but one thing which is uh, very relevant that we missed here is that he's still not going to have 61 with Abbas because the Atsionuta Datit, religious the National Religious Party, will never sit with Abbas and they will not sit with uh, Abbas for real. I, I agree with you on that. We knew, when you were mentioning it, it was Bezalel Smutrich who didn't let uh, Netanyahu form a coalition with Abbas in the last time. Yes, Netanyahu is still arguing that he never intended to really form a coalition with Abbas. 
Abbasid's arguing that he has some documents that show the agreement that Netanyahu offered him, but you have to say to Netanyahu's defense that Abbas is saying that he has these documents, but he, uh, he refuses to, uh, to discover them. So we And don't I- really know for sure. We don't know, just like Akaletet uh, Alohetet, the famous uh, recording. Yeah, I think of, we know uh, that this was a fake. <laughs> well, fake from Netanyahu, so we also, we can't tell. The uh, Akaletet Alohetet is worth a different discussion. It was uh, something <laughs> in 1993, also related to Benjamin Netanyahu. But I want to say the following, you know, you're bringing up that Smutrich will not allow Netanyahu to form a coalition with Mansour Abbas. And here we get to the situation that currently you have two runner-ups that are obvious, Netanyahu on the one hand and Yair Lapid on the other hand, and you have Benny Gantz, who is a representative of his own, just like Naftali Bennett, proclaiming, I'm going to be the next prime minister. I'm a runner-up for, you know, to form a coalition. Yes, he has, and, he has a bit more legitimacy than Bennett because uh, he has about 12 to 13 seats in the polls. But still, it's very problematic, uh, especially after that. I think that ethically has, it's has wrong. All of, these, all of these power governments and, you know, are completely wrong morally. And eventually they don't prove themselves. If you look at the last two coalitions, it doesn't prove the, the government to be a, a stable government. Well, uh, no, I think that a stable, go- stable government is... Stable coalition, that, uh, let's say. A, a stable coalition is something that nobody is even dreaming about right now. Just give them a coalition that is uh, dependent on the vote of w- one single parliament member and they will be uh, very happy with it. Um, Gantz has several options. Each one of them is problematic because um, he can go to... Uh, um, government, a rotation government with Netanyahu, in which he will be first and Netanyahu will be second, but he already promised that he won't do it. Uh, uh, he, can, he promised, but you can never tell. You're right, you're right. Just like, but, just like he said that it's either him or Netanyahu, and then he ran to form a coalition with Netanyahu. Uh, yes, you're yeah. right, but uh, even then, so it doesn't enough if Gantz is going to be interested in this solution, Because Netanyahu might prefer, not necessarily, but he might prefer going to, another, to yet another election cycle. Um, so Gantz can do that. Um, he can also maybe, maybe uh, achieve some kind, of, uh, some kind of partnership with Lapid. in which Lapid will be the prime minister for a part of the term and Gantz will be the prime minister for another part of the term, probably shorter, because he has a smaller party, but not necessarily, because he might force Lapid. Uh, but this is very unlikely because it doesn't seem, uh, I, I wouldn't say very unlikely, this is unlikely because right now it doesn't seem that uh, any of them can achieve 61. I would like to raise another option, which nobody discusses right now and might look like uh, science fiction at this point, but I'm not sure that it will look like science fiction after the election, even though I agree that it is not the most probable scenario. And this is a national unity government with a rotation between Netanyahu and Lapid. It's a huge problem. Because it's gonna, uh, Lapid is gonna be uh, 
facing lethal criticism from his political base if he's going to do it. Netanyahu probably uh, won't, uh, won't like it as a first option as well, because in this uh, scenario, Lapid will necessarily be the first one because he's not going to trust Netanyahu to deliver him the prime ministership. Well, based after on past reputation. Uh... Exactly, exactly. And in any case, if it's going to be remotely possible to Lapid to justify it to his own political base, it's only if he's going to stay as the prime minister right now and uh, Netanyahu will be second. And still, it's going to be very, very problematic for him. But why I think this is still an option? Because it might be the best option for both of them in some scenario. For Lapid, it means that he is going to remain the prime minister for another two years, which may not sound as much, but in the political conundrum Israel is uh, struggling with, it's going to be yes. the longest term of a prime minister in the, in the last five election cycles. Yes. Uh, and he's going to be, uh, he's already going to be a prime minister for six months when the election will occur. So it's going to give him two and a half years, which is a reasonable term. And for Netanyahu, it might be the last chance he's getting from the Likud to lead the party to yet another election cycle. And if he won't succeed to achieve 61, there might be, certainly not necessarily, but there is an option of a rebellion, a rebellion against him in the Likud. So this might be the, uh, the, 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 the least worst option for him. So it's unlikely, but I wouldn't rule out this option completely. Yeah, of course that it sits on the table, hypothetically. And I agree with you that from uh, Yair Lapid's uh, uh, base, it will be a lot harder uh, you know, uh, thing to chew and to swallow uh, the Netanyahu's uh, base. Um, but I, I, I honestly believe that Netanyahu, I know that it sounds weird, will be able to bring Benny Gantz again. I don't know. I mean, Benny Gantz always talks about Mamlachtiyut, about um, um, the, the American term is sta- statehood, okay, about you know, keeping uh, the country safe and what's good for the state. And Netanyahu will be able, in a way, to persuade Benny Gantz and will tell him, okay, you're going to go first, I'm going to go second. And Netanyahu will bring the ultra-Orthodox. The ultra-Orthodox has no problem sitting with Benny Gantz. And Benny Gantz will be in a situation, again, that he sits in a right-wing government, right-wing ultra-Orthodox government, but he will hold it. Netanyahu is actually, that's my guess, he's using Ben Gvir and Smutrich as a leverage. And we'll be able to see it only after we see the final results of the election. But my guess is that Netanyahu is holding Ben Gvir and Smutrich uh, as a leverage uh, to draw in actually uh, Mansour Abbas and Benny Gantz. So uh, I agree that the scenario that you have just described is possible. Gantz might flip. He has proven that in the past. But uh, it's not free of problems, as all the other scenarios we have discussed. The first problem is, uh, of course, that Gantz will have to to lie to his public yet again. And it might be one time too many for him. 
So it's not a very easy decision for him. The second problem is that Gantz doesn't really have a party. Gantz have some very uh, unstable uh, unification between several parties. Some of them are more to the right. Some of them are more to the left. The only thing that really unites them is their hatred towards Netanyahu and their uh, willingness to do almost everything in order to uh, prevent him from go- coming back to the prime ministership. So if Gantz will flip, and decide to uh, go with Netanyahu, it doesn't necessarily mean that his entire party will. So they still might be with less than the necessary 61. Yeah, and I guess we'll see, we'll be smarter on November uh, 9th, after the final results. Uh, will be posted uh, no, November 1st, yes, but I think that even... Uh, no, November, after- 1st, November 1st is the election itself, and the the, uh, central the election committee takes a few days yes yeah and they have the deadline is uh, november 9th but also i think that would even wouldn't even give us a clear uh, a clear view on what's going to happen uh, because you're right. uh, with all way, of the uh, surprises that were happening in the last uh, two rounds <laughs> nobody can really guess who's going to form the coalition yes and uh, by the way it's very um it's a very reasonable scenario that uh, Netanyahu will have less than 61 on election night. And after they will count all the uh, remaining votes, he will achieve 61 because most of these votes are uh, soldiers from the IDF. And young people, especially soldiers, usually support Netanyahu in higher numbers. Yeah. Well, We'll see what's going to happen. Um, yes. But for now, I think we gave our audience uh, quite a lot of information. So I really want to thank you for uh, holding up your dinner for me and for us. <laughs> and thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. As and, always. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to speak to you after the election. We'll see what's happening. Sure. And Thank you very much, Tamir, and thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll see you, we'll talk again in the next episode of uh, Balagan. Bye thank you, Kofi. And Shana Tova to all of our uh, Jewish audience. Shana Tova and Machatima Tova. Shana Tova, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.